With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast, and you're listening to another fine show from the From Page to Screen Media Empire. Hey guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm J.K. Amelou, the writer-director of Deviation. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline. Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stuart. Page the screen. Dot-com up in my bum leaves. Snake. Get up to my motorcycle running and tracking up with my fucking snakes. Genius. With Dom. Eating pizza and pussy. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Rogue Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The From Page to Screen Movie Hello. Hello there, how are you? I am okay, yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Full of the cold, as you know, but uh, I just thought I'd give you a quick check uh, call and see if everything's running okay. Well, yeah, the technology's working okay. I don't know if my uh, sinuses are, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to sort of hit the mute button now and again as well, I think, if I cough, but it shouldn't be too bad. So I've got to try and find the mute button. Oh, that's a good question. Ah, uh, there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just hover over your uh, your thing, it should come up, shouldn't it? Yeah. So, what have you been up to today? Anything? Um... Uh, trying to recover. <laughs> so... Don't know about you, but I've been, you know, when I've, I'm like this, I get really kind of cold. Yep. So it's been kind of, you know, immerse myself in hot bath. Oh, wow. You've been reading any Kindle whilst in said bath? Um, I may just have been doing a bit. <laughs> what have you been reading? Like about a full book. Oh, God. <laughs> so how are you on Target? Because didn't you love like a, a betting pool or something at work or a Target on Goodreads or something? Yeah, it was on Goodreads rather than a betting pool at work. I mean, betting yep. pool at work, that'd just be pointless because I'd Win. basically ace it. <laughs> Unless you yeah. sort of put a target too high. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm still on the same book I was um, like October or something, November last year. So I'm doing all right. Ah, that's not too bad. No, I read like a word a day. Yeah. It kind of works. So, but for um, you, that works. I mean, I, I know I've yeah. seen the book. You kind of keep it next to the Kazi. I do. Yep. So last thing I is that just do. in case you run out of toilet paper? Or something? Um, well, no, because it's quite a good book. But <sighs> I, su- I suppose I could actually put the bad books, yeah, next to the cars in case I do ever run out of loot paper, and then I could just like use, you know, the Harvey Weinstein book or something. Who knows? <laughs> Possibly, oh. or, or some of Stu Miller's Topical? reviews. Topical? You know that type of thing. <laughs> uh, you probably have to print those out first. <laughs> oh no, I'd, I'd print them out and then use them. Yeah. Some of them. <laughs> so it's um, 
I know we're definitely going to have Stu Miller on tonight. Um, Neil, I'm still not sure because it's middle of the night where he is or very early morning, so I'll just watch out and see if Neil shows up. Yeah, he's doing a quickly, isn't he? He's, well, booted by... Um, he is, he's, he's in Australia. I he's uh, booted dead. my Skype up. I got loads of messages. You know, when somebody's online and they go, hello, with lots of question marks, like the question marks yeah. can wake you up a little bit quicker. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the last message he sent me was at 9.06 a.m. this morning. So He's keen. I'll give him that. It was 12 hours oh, early. Yeah. So he's very keen. So hi, Neil. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Stu's bringing a couple of topics. Don't know what they are. Who knows? But this Whatever is the, they are, we'll discuss. Yes, and we can uh, eradicate them if they're crap topics, really. <laughs> I honestly... Have no idea what they are. When was the last time we podcasted? Ages ago, wasn't it? Cripes, we're going back quite a few months. I think, did the last one we did, was it one that were recorded in the lounge? Just with your uh, portable recorder? I honestly can't remember. I think he was. (laughs) Just sending um, Stu a tweet saying, headed online now. But yeah, I can't remember remember when the last time it was. No idea. My brain's a bit well, fuzzy today, so you know we'll see how it yeah. goes. One of the guys at work was asking me what I was up to this weekend, so uh, I basically told him I'd be podcasting, and he's yep. kind of, oh, what's this? So basically wanted to know the full details, so I will be passing him on your link. Cool. Uh, what, what's, what's, his, what's his first name? Uh, Piotr. Hi, Piotr. Hey, I've heard a lot about him. Yeah. Well, a lot about you, Piotr. So, yes. Yeah. Hey, he's a wonderful Polish chap. I think he's all good as well, isn't it? I think. I don't think yeah, you said yeah. any horrible things about him. No, no, no. Good. I could name a few other names that I have said or horrible things about, but uh, yeah, you know, but we won't. They're probably not even listening, though. So. Well, true. Yeah. What's the point? Piotr will be yeah. listening, so we love him because he's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, decent chap. Exactly. Now, what Stu uh-huh. said. Uh, yep, he's just sent me a message saying okay, and <laughs> Neil will wake it too. Oh, excellent. Um, it's going to be Monday where he is. That's yeah, weird. he's ahead of us, isn't he? That's weird. Well, he's ahead of us time zone-wise. Now, he's probably ahead of me in a lot of different ways. <laughs> so, who knows? So, I'll just watch for everybody. Uh, and this is all... say, what is he, about 11 hours ahead at the moment? or Pretty much. Yep. Which part of Australia well, is he in? Um, I shall ask him. <laughs> when he, uh, he said he might be a bit groggy. Which I suppose is pretty much his way. If he just talks crap, then he can just blame it on the fact he's just got up. Yeah, true. You know. I mean, you know, anyone that doesn't have enough coffee inside the system. I don't know if he's a massive coffee drinker, you know. Yeah. I'm going to ask him because I've met him a few times and I always remember, do you want this? Do you want that? And he's like, eh. you know, it's one of these where you go through the drinks that you've got in the house and eventually yeah. you find something you like. Coffee or tea <laughs> is usually the first one. I think he usually goes for tea. So we shall. Uh, wow. We shall find out at some point. So, as long as it's not meths. No, no, I've never seen him drink meths. No, <laughs> not. It may be something he drinks once he gets to the end of an editing stage. Who knows? Yes. Maybe it's like if you know what? I just tough. I need some meths. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Oh, so I'm. Uh, He's not here to defend himself at the moment. So, yeah, but he does listen to it all, and I know Tracy Bird's all listening to these as well. So all this. Hi, Tracy. Be- Hi, Neil. It can all be held up in Neil and Tracy court, everything we see in a podcast, so that's fine. So basically, when they've listened to this after the fact, the next time either of them are here on chatting to us, we're going to get it in the neck. Possibly, or if I I wake up one day and I've been blocked, 
then uh, you know maybe we've said something horrible, but you know, blame. I just blame you. Oh, there we go. So <laughs> I'm just waiting for somebody to show up online. Who knows? I'm here. Uh, well, yeah, you know, I wait for that. Yeah, it's horrible when you because I need to make sure I call them because if they yeah. call me, the damn Skype thing gets cut off, and you know how much I love editing. Oh, so it's always fun in games. So this is like episode four hundred. This is nuts. So I actually got it right in calling you. Um, well, it doesn't matter what the first person call him. That's <laughs> fine, but it's when somebody else calls in and I'm on a call, it can sort of cut everything off. And as I discovered once when I had a guest on. And then just Ooh. carried on chatting. And, um, and they disappeared. And they'd gone, yeah. Oh. <laughs> How long did it take you to realise? Well, I'd finished the conversation. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd... Um, oh, I, I shouldn't I, laugh, but... <laughs> let's have a look. Hello, Stu. Hello. Hello, how you doing? Wow. <laughs> I'm okay. You're okay, are you sure? Yeah. Oh, that's all right. You don't sound it. <laughs> I think I am. Possibly. You think you are, Wokido. <laughs> and let's bring in the final guest. Well, he's not like guest, he's like a co host. He's done loads of shows. Haven't you, Neil? How are you doing, Neil? Neil? Good morning. Good morning. Now, you, Stu, Bob, you're going to get confused because <laughs> you said good morning. So no, no, not confused at all. Bob's not, because Bob knows that Neil is in Australia. I'm in so the future. You're in the past. Yeah. How is the future? Well, you know, you haven't heard yet about North Korea and stuff. No, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Who won the Golden Globes? You've got something to look forward to, let me tell you. Oh, no. <laughs> Does it mean I don't need to go to work tomorrow? Because if it's bad... Well, you, you should just in case, but you know, make sure you bring a you know an extra pair of underwear and stuff. You know. I do that anyway. Lead lined umbrella. Yeah, yeah, good <laughs> umbrella. A lead umbrella would help. Nice. <laughs> so I will introduce everybody to everybody else. Neil. Um, yep, Neil. We have Stu Miller, the Hi. Th the film critic that makes filmmakers shudder. Oh, you, you terrify me, sir! But I love listening <laughs> to your stuff. <laughs> Thank you. There you go, uh, Bob. We have Bob. You've met Hello, Neil. Neil. You've met Bob. Um, Stu, I don't think you've met Bob. I don't think. No, no. don't think no. so. Damn. We've spoken uh, on on the podcast before now, but uh, yeah. it was a while ago. So this is episode four hundred. Yikes, that's kind of scary. So that's a big. It's a big number. Um, it was weird to put the message out that I was recording episode 400 and people were like going congratulations I'm like okay I'm just persistent I just don't want to go away it's not, it's, it's not like any sort of achievement I just have nothing else to do you're like, the, you're like the rash of podcasting just I am I'm like the chlamydia of podcasting or is it herpes mm. I don't know one of them two won't go away so um yeah, no idea. Stu messaged me earlier in the week and said, what's the structure for the podcast? I went, no idea. Still don't. I think that's what I enjoy about them. I have no idea what anybody's going to say. Um, Stu, did you say you had a couple of topics that you dragged along with you? Well, to be honest, I just threw them out the window when you said no structure. So I was oh. just looking at it and thinking, nah, thank hell I don't have a structure to work with. Can you remember what the <laughs> topics are, though? Because you might need them. Otherwise, uh, we'll just make shit up. I'll just pluck them out my arse um, as soon as we, uh, when we go through it. So that's exactly it's just what, what I, I do. Not... With, that's what I do. That's not what you do on your show. I've been on your show and it's very structured. 
Well, I wouldn't say it's very structured. It has a, a tiny little bit of a layout, but it's, it's not that structured. It's more structured than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Neil and I sat down probably I think like a couple of months ago now, wasn't it, Neil? And we, we filmed a video interview of me, and we had no idea, well, I had no idea what he was going to ask me. So that's how much I cared about structure. Just wing it. Yeah. And boy, did we, get, we got some dirt on you on camera. You certainly have. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> don't don't show those clips though. They're just for your eyes only, Neil. They're okay. <laughs> so uh, where the hell do we start, Neil? What are you doing in Australia? How are you? I'm very well. Um, it's very early in the morning here, actually. So I, I'm not sure why I'm here. Actually, I'm here to visit family and stuff, and yep. talk to the uh, Australian government about you know future stuff. film funding and all the usual Ooh. stuff. Yeah, as you and. Do. And also, I've got a friend here, um, uh, Vic Casper, who who did the sound mix for House of Flying Daggers, and he's got you know all these massive Oscars and awards and stuff. And I'm begging him to uh, to try and do my next film, you know, for very cheap, of course. Nice. So it's business. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yes. So you're definitely the busiest of the uh, the four of us then. Oh man, I I never stop. I haven't had a day off in in since my birthday and then that was the first day I've had in, in two years so I just work non-stop but um, you know it, it's a life it, it's okay uh, I'm actually very happy I just make movies for a living for the, those who don't know and I make science fiction films and I'm uh, very very happy doing it but you know it's not obviously a, a way to make money but it's a labor of love yeah I, it's an obsession actually it's, be, it's gone beyond <laughs> anything else <laughs> That's it. That's just all I care about is making science fiction films, you know. So I'm happy. I like watching other movies, but as far as making movies, to be in space is the greatest thing on the planet. So I'm happy. Because it's quite fun. It's like on occasion I'll say, how's the film coming along? You're like, it's now two films. <laughs> it's like, what? What happened to the one film? It's too big. <laughs> it's become too yeah. Eight hours long. I've just made a movie that's eight hours long, and I'm trying to get it down to six hours. And... Even at four hours, it's a Netflix season one, you know, so um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. But it, it's I'm quite happy with the fact that, you know, I can expand the story. Um, but, of course, while I'm cutting, I have more ideas for more scenes. So, yeah, it's going to be even longer the way I'm going. Uh-oh. And, Excellent. you know, we're not shooting on, on little toy cameras. We're shooting on the the red dragon or, you, you know, God forbid if I shot on anything else. But um, it's... Every time you shoot footage, it takes up so much hard drive space. You know, it just massively increases everything. So, for me to sit around and say, "Yeah, I might shoot another half an hour of this movie in the next six months," you know, you can't believe how much that's. You know, that 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 could mean another. Uh, let's see, ten, twenty terabytes of hard drive space alone. So, you know, it, it's it's a massive undertaking, but it, it's good to have that sort of freedom. That's why. If you own your own equipment, you can you can make those decisions and say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and you do it. You just got to pay the crew. So, are you shooting it on the camera that I saw you with when you uh, when you shot that little sort of clip of me outside the house? Is that the same camera? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for, again, for those who don't know, you know, Stuart Bannerman has a has a cameo in the Time War or or one of the other films. <laughs> um, you know what it's called, but it's. We, yeah, it's well. That was the same camera they shot Prometheus on, and 
you know, that that's fine. But there, there's, I'm actually on the fence about selling that and buying a better version, uh, which is the Red Dragon, uh, which will probably happen in a couple of weeks. And that's the camera they shot Transformers Age of Extinction on. And, um, you know, it's like even more ridiculously over the top as far as quality and resolution goes. But you, you actually need it. I hate to say this. Uh, I can't shoot on 4K. <laughs> oh. I have to shoot 6K yeah. because of the quality of what you need in the end. So you, I can understand why people shoot at 8K resolution. I get it. Uh, but, you know, it's got to do with visual effects and stuff. And it's we've so far gone beyond what film used to be. But, you know, it's when you get hungry for pixels and, and you, you kind of need you know, super high resolution so you can process these visual effects. It's, it's sadly, it's, it's one of the tools of the trade. I can't see anyone ever going beyond 8K in, in, you know, shooting resolution, but I'm sure there will be somebody, you know, who will invent a 10K or 12K camera. That just means very, very, very high resolution quality, you know. So um, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's almost an overkill. But when you go back in time, you look at one of the first digital films, like Attack of the Clones, uh, that was shot on just regular HD. You know, when you actually look at the resolution, actually, it was a bit more than HD. It's about 2K. But if you look at it really closely, it doesn't look as clean and crisp as as the uh, the newer films now. And that's just how it is. Um, prior to that, George shot, George Lucas shot on the um, on 35 mil uh, or 70 mil, you know, depending on on the application. But he shot on film on Episode One. And they did a test shot in one scene. It's actually in Anakin's bedroom uh, that was actually shot on digital. It was one of the first major feature films to shoot on digital. And you can you can kind of see the difference in quality if you're looking really, really closely. But that was a big secret at the time. You know, they were testing out the technology. And now, of course, everybody, except for the really, really good filmmakers, are um, shooting digital. So, you know, welcome to the world of, of pixels. So you mentioned sort of difference in quality there. I asked Stu to bring along his top 10 film list of the year for you guys to listen to and comment on if you wish. So have you brought that list with you, Stu? I have, and it's slightly different to what it was when I did my show. Ooh. Is that because you watched something else or just because you've looked at it since? Go, do you know what? I'm going to... Yeah, my mind changes all the time with the amount of films that I watch in a year. I did calculate how many I did watch last year because you did ask me. I did, yeah. And it ended off on 207, which is slightly down from 2016. But I think 2017 was a better year for films. So uh, there was a couple of films that I was constantly thinking, should I leave them in the position where they're at? And there was one film which was always niggling at the back of my head, just sort of like fighting its way out, which didn't even make my honourable mentions at the start. And it was just clawing its way back. And then all of a sudden, it's in my top ten, which I didn't mention in, when I did the show, um, my final show in um, December of last year. It's yep. weird it's in 2017 as last isn't year. It? Isn't it? So last year, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So what have we got then? Go through your list and we'll uh, let these two guys comment if they've seen them or or whatever. So yeah, under my my special mentions, the film that I knocked out of the uh, the top 10 and it's gone into my special mentions now is a film called The Boy and the Beast, which unless you watch animated films from Japan, you wouldn't know where it is. 
So yeah, 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 it's a small little animated film from Japan. It's just about a boy who escapes into a fantasy world where it's overrun by beasts and beasts are sort of like seen as gods and hierarchies. And it's just about him training with this beast who was trying to become the ultimate god of this beast realm and fighting between humans where he's struggling. He was struggling being on the streets, being beaten, um, abused, things like that, to being accepted in this beast world. But he then meets a girl in the human world who he falls in love with. So it's a battle between both realms that he wants to steer in and acceptance. And it's, it's a fantastic film. Um, I included Blade Runner 2049 in my special mentions, mm-hmm. which I loved. I love the way that film is just how it takes its time to actually do things, how it's shot, the music, the acting, just everything about that film. Denny Villeneuve is a, a phenomenal director. And I had to mention that um, Manchester by the Sea, um, Lion and a small little film again, which I doubt very many people have seen, called Hounds of Love. Okay. No, Australia... no, no, not a Kate Bush film. No, no, damn it. No, I, I got a, I, sorry, I got a question on why do you like Manchester by the Sea? Because I mean, I, I love most films, and and that film just didn't resonate with me. Why do you like that film? It was a film that sort of like wasn't afraid to take its time with how it was telling its story and just its relationship between the two main characters, especially Casey Affleck. Um, Casey Affleck, especially in that film there, he's he's a really good actor, but he was an actor who was given a character in this one, which was very stripped back. So yeah. th- there, there was a lot of baggage for the actor, for the character itself, but just the way he had to play it, a lot of films that Casey Affleck is in, he sort of like has to play a character fully. But in this one, he sort of has to play a character stripped back. And I think it works for him. So it's a very minimalistic character with a lot of baggage in the background. And I just thought that his relationship, especially with the um, other characters running out through the film itself, just worked for me. And uh, Kenneth Lonergan, the way he directed it as well, and the way it was shot, again, down to cinematography, um, I've got a slight keen eye when it comes to cinematography as well, when it comes to films. So I love when a film is brave enough to use 35 millimeter, for example, I love movie shot on that. I love seeing a film that's not afraid to ha- add something like a deformed scene to it or a bit of green to it or something like that. I love that. Um, I love films that are brave to be in black and white. I love films that are brave to be silent. Um, I love films that are brave full stop. But just Manchester by the Sea, it felt like a very stripped back drama and it was more interested in relationships between characters. And I think it was one of the, the stronger films in 2017 for that. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. That's a very, I, I, I had a whole different take on the film, but I like hearing the fact that you could see the, uh, the subtleties in, in the, in the character. This is, this is amazing because most people just gloss over things like that. And, um, you know, I just on your other one, I, I actually just watched uh, Blade Runner 2049. And I, I, I like you, I absolutely loved that film. It was it was like a piece of poetry. But the way I watched it was in I watched it in six parts because I, I'm jet lagged to hell. So I actually just watched it like half an hour and then another 20 minutes. And every night before I go to sleep, I watch a bit of it. And it was like it was almost like uh like a drug for me. I I couldn't wait to see the next piece of it because I could just sit there and let this, you know, let the film just, just be itself. And the fact that it's three and a half hours, long, three hours long, I hope they make a longer version and we can't watch these things as, as piece, you know, as, as holes. We got to, 
you know, we've got a different mentality with our viewing now. It, it's so much far, so far above just about anything I've seen, you know, on television or on, on film, you know, the, the way Blade Runner worked. I, I was, I, I was so impressed with that movie. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to be another classic film. I think it's going to be like Blade, the old Blade Runner. That's just going to, it's just going to get better and better with age and people are really going to discover, you know, the hidden gems in it. You know, is that, is that why you liked it? Still? For me, um, for me, it was down to what I said when I reviewed the film was if you can get past the piercing of the first half an hour, you will you will absolutely just fall for the film. If you cannot get your head around the way the first half an hour goes, because it is deliberately pierced like that. And the film itself, the rest of the film is exactly the same piercing as the first half an hour. You're going to struggle really badly. And it it's. The way you've gone and said it there, the fact that you've watched it in bits proves that it is a movie that's making you want to watch more. So you latched on to the first bit that you watched, whether it be half an hour, 40 minutes, 20 minutes, and you thought to yourself, there is a lot here which is intriguing me. And that's the people who are going to appreciate the film. It didn't do very well at the box office because, no offense to audiences, audiences now prefer these huge, massive brain-dead explosion movies. Those are the films which seem to do the best at the box office. In 2017, horror had a phenomenal year. But if you look at the way the smartest horror film was Get Out, which is my number 10 film, and that was a really smart horror film. But if you look at smart, really, really smart horror films, they don't do very well at the box office at all. If you look at films that have got a very deliberate pace and like Blade Runner 2049, they don't do very well at the box office. Because audiences will not have the patience of being able to latch on to those kind of films. However, if you're able to do so, then you're going to be rewarded with something special. And Blade Runner, every now and again, um, you will get a blockbuster movie on the scale of Blade Runner that's intelligent. And it scares audiences when you do get those kind of films. Because they're thinking, what, well, where's my popcorn movie? And the popcorn <laughs> films are just terribly brain dead and i'm hoping that people are starting to see past that now and latching on to these films but it's annoying that blade run blade runner 2049 didn't do very well at the box office yeah yeah it's very <laughs> true you know i was gonna say I, I i could not imagine myself sitting in the theater watching blade runner even that you know it's just because of my, my time and schedule and my brain set but Absolutely, watching that movie twenty times over on Blu-ray for me, it's 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 going to be my new drug for the next year. And I know Bob and I, we are both Blade Runner fans. Neither of us saw it on the big screen, but we're both eagerly anticipating and awaiting the Blu-ray release so we can go out, purchase it, and watch it in our house. Especially with the director's cut, if there is one. Here, here's hoping, yeah. But for me, I didn't go and watch it because it was a three-hour film, and the scheduling at the time was: Do I have I really got four hours to go out tonight and watch a, yeah. a slow-paced film? And I just didn't. But I knew I was going to pick it up when it uh, when I can go into a shop and buy it. So, well, this is it. I remember going seeing the first one when it first came out, and uh, the only reason that didn't go to see this one. Um, we normally have kind of outings from work and uh, unluckily we were in the process of moving office when this was uh, out released so we didn't get a chance to go and see it really yep. but like I say, as soon as it's out on Blu-ray, that's it, it's in the collection picking it up and uh, on the old 4K TVs oh definitely so, yeah. so back to you Stu 
Yeah, it didn't even make my top 10, so it shows you what I thought about the films in my top 10 as well. So just quickly with Hounds of Love, it is a small Australian film, very similar to movies like Animal Kingdom and Snowtown, or Snowtown Murders, depending on where you're from. And it was a small film about... Um, it's uh, about two serial killers based on a true story that happened in Australia over the course of, I think it's the Christmas of 1988 to the Christmas of 1989. And they used to kidnap girls and torture them. And it's just the, the film itself is phenomenal. It's brilliantly directed by Ben Young. He's only done short films in the past and fantastically acted by um, Emma Booth and um, Ashley Cummings and Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry is really nasty in the film, but I think the way he plays his character is it's just it's just brilliant. Definitely recommend people watch it if you if you liked films like Animal Kingdom and um, Snowtown. I've written it down on my list, and I shall uh, track that one down at some point. Yeah, but um, in order, in my ten was ten was Get Out, Jordan Peele's directorial debut. Who would have thought that a comedian would have been able to produce a horror film like that? <laughs> one of the smartest horror films over the last few years. Um, nine was It. You got confused when I showed you my list because I had it in my best films and a film called it in my worst films. Yeah, and I thought I know that your reviews can go like confuse people sometimes, but I'm like, how on earth do you end up with the same film in the best and worst list, but different films? So yeah, the okay. the it in the <laughs> worst films list is a film called It, and it stars Pierce Brosnan, and it's a, a thriller which was awful. Um, it was it was War for the Planet of the Apes which wow. surprised Andy because um, he didn't expect something like that to be in there. But I think War for the Planet of the Apes and the other two ape films is the best trilogy since the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Seven was Raw, which I absolutely love that film. Um, French horror film, cannibal film. I, it took a while for me to get to see it, but I'm glad I did. Um, six, now this film was bouncing around in the top ten in different positions, Dunkirk. Yeah, I've still not seen that. Yeah, here. yeah, I love Dunkirk. It it, it definitely it's is one of those films where your your eyes are fixated on the screen from the second it starts to the second it ends. There's just not one moment where your eye will actually be taken away from the screen because there's always something that's really intriguing you uh, through that film. There, um, five is Moonlight. I, I absolutely loved Moonlight. The structure of it, the acting of it, the directing of it, just everything about Moonlight. That was actually, in the first half of the year, my number one film of the year. Um, Four, now this is the film that caused the absolute turmoil with my top ten and start punching its way through, and you'll be surprised of what it is as well, especially as high up as it is. Number four, Paddington 2. Yeah, and I've heard you talking about that on the show, so I'm not surprised. Just remember when you used to sit down at Christmas and watch a family film with your family, how happy you used to be. Just your decorations up, um, if it's horrible outside, the roar and fire, the fact that you've got some food to eat and then you get a film on that all the family can sit down and just absolutely be captivated by, be enjoyed by, be enraptured by, just being like a big, huge, massive warm hug. That's what Paddington 2 is. It is exactly that kind of film. It is just a movie that takes you back to being a child again, to when you had nothing but cares in the world by just going outside and causing trouble or or things like that. It reminds you of, of being a kid. And very few people, very few films have actually managed to do that. I recommend Paddington 2 to anybody. A cynical person like myself loved it, so <laughs> exactly. it must be a good film. <laughs> 
uh, my top three, these never changed after the last after the, in the last six months. These never changed. Uh, three was the Red Turtle, which is an animated film by uh, director called Michael Dudovitt. It's a uh, it's co-produced by Studio Ghibli, so they're a Japanese studio. It is done by a French studio called Wild Bunch. It is created by a Belgian who works in wheels. And it's a <laughs> silent film. A silent animated film about a man who gets stranded on an island who then ends off when he finally finds a way to get off this island gets attacked by this huge massive turtle and the turtle manifests itself into a woman. And it's just about <gasps> his life on this island. Oh, this sounds like my life. <laughs> <laughs> It is an amazingly beautiful, well-executed animated film, and it's um, it's hand-drawn as well, so it's not CGI. It's all hand-drawn. There was a film out last year which I still need to see called Loving Vincent, which is the first ever film to be hand-painted. Now, Studio Ghibli, um, especially Hayao Miyazaki, and a lot of his films, the backgrounds are all hand-painted, and then he animates on top of these um, painted backgrounds. Well, this film, Loving Vincent. It was 65,000 scenes. Every single scene was hand-painted. Oil paints. Yeah, yeah and I, yeah. I really want to see that film, so that might have made my top ten list, but it didn't. Uh, number two, My Life as a Courgette. Now, the, the top two films are two of the best films I've ever seen, so they're in my top ten films of all time. So it shows you how, what kind of year 2017 was. Yeah. Um, my Life as a Courgette, a phenomenal little film. It's a, it's a French film. It's on for 61 minutes. It's on Amazon. If, uh, if you've got Amazon Prime in the UK, it's on there. And it's 61 minute long. Um, have no excuse for watching it. It's the same length as an episode of Game of Thrones. And it's just about a boy called Corjet who loses his mother, who gets put into an orphanage with other kids. And it's not afraid to tackle really hard subjects, but in a kid's stop motion animated film form. Okay. Yep. So my uh, number one, it, uh, a monster calls. Yeah. I just absolutely yep. adore that movie, directed by one Antonio Bayona, who I love as a director. Uh, but a monster calls just brought me to tears multiple times in the cinema for for special reasons. But I was listening to a song from a monster calls by the band King just before I came on to here, and th that song is phenomenal. But when you watch the video with that song, you just Everything just comes back to you. Everything in that film is just absolutely spot on. That's why it's in my top ten films of all time. I just adore that movie. Damn, no Lost Jedi. What? No, because I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the whole sort of Lost Jedi um, uh, sort of backlash, Neil? Are you? Oh, uh, I, I'm look. I, I I've rarely been in. Um, uh, what's the word? Shock yep. after seeing a film, and you know, I, I generally don't talk bad about films because I'm on the other side of the camera, and I, you know, I know what it takes. Um, I was actually, you know, I, sitting watching that movie, I was sitting there enjoying myself, going, "Oh, this is good. This is great." You know, I was having a good old time. Got to the end, and it was like, "Huh," you know, it's one of those things <laughs> like the stuff that the, 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 the pieces were amazing. But the structure of it, the whole choices, shall we say, the writer made, um, I, I would not have made those decisions. I would have made a whole different movie. Now, here's the film I would have made. It would have been, uh, it would have been Luke turned to the dark side or something like that. And 
became, you know, obviously killed off Snoke and, and everything else. And he became like the, the bad guy of episode two. Oh, sorry, of episode eight. So that by episode nine, um, you know, it's the big showdown between Luke and Ray. And I thought, wow, that would be a great movie. And, and nobody would expect that. But um, they took it in a whole different direction. <laughs> they certainly did. It felt you know, like, for me, they just made Luke into an emo. He was just yeah. like whinging all the way throughout <laughs> yeah. the film. Like he was throwing you uh, dummies out of the pram and all that kind of stuff. And you're thinking, uh, this is fun for two and a half hours. And I have to suffer through that for two and a half hours. Yeah, but he was always a bit of a whiny girl. I don't want to go to Toshi Station. Not oh, as bad as what he was in. I want to make out with his sister. He didn't whine when, when, he, when, he, when he hung out with the Emperor, you know. No, that's true. The one thing I did like about it was when he was sucking on the teat of that alien. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I was like, I felt that was a very brave choice. It was. You know, there was moments where it was brave. The movie was very ballsy to do this and do that, but... Um, it's just the look on his face after he suckles on the teeth of that, that, that alien for the, for the milk. I thought that was just so, so ballsy, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have done that, but it was great. And the throwing away the lightsaber, you know, people didn't like that. I love that. But I thought it was good. You know, it's, it's, there were some bold choices, but you're right. He was whiny and I, you know, I just wanted him. I, there was a moment when he turned to evil, you know, like in the flashback. Um, when he was going to kill Kylo Ren, and I thought, yes, yes, finally we get the movie we want to see. And, and no, that's where they should have taken it because when he did that, that I've, I've become evil type thing, I was so excited. You know, I thought, man, this is going to open the story up, but it didn't. It just kind of faded away after that. I was very, I don't know. I, I, I think in, in five years' time, uh, maybe the story will resonate in different ways. But and and also with Episode Nine, perhaps. Something will come around. Perhaps he will come back, you know, in physical form because that was the original plan of Return of the Jedi was Obi-Wan Kenobi was going to come back in physical form and help Luke fight the Emperor. And he was actually going to physically reappear, you know, from the Force. So I, I have a feeling they're going to steal that idea for Episode Nine because, you know, you can't just kill Luke Skywalker like that, you know. I mean, he's got to come back and you've got to have that feeling that he's back and he's he's ready to kick ass and he's physical and he's angry and whatever, you know, I want to see that, that rage monkey that we saw in return of the Jedi, you know, I want to see that, that, that passion that he had for, for killing and fighting and, and, you know, being a human being. I, I want to see Luke be a, be a man again, you know, and that's, I guess, yeah, what Stuart was saying is right. He was, a, he was a whiny emo and, and all whiny emos grow up into something. So, you know, old, old whiny <laughs> emails. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only thing I'll give Rian Johnson credit for is he had the balls to have the slowest car chase or slowest chase possible in any film ever. Because <laughs> the chase between the two starships, it was just, it was like the worst game of chess. Like people were taking a year to make a move. Is it you make a move? Now it's your turn. You move a little bit further. And then you move a little bit further. And it's like, oh, God. Can somebody just blast them out of the freaking sky? Yeah. But I've had a lot of fun watching the backlash, though, because some people take it way too seriously. Yeah, I love the the fact you know. that uh, people were going, um, oh, all critics have been peered by the studio to give it a really good review. You have to realise a critic is just somebody's opinion of the film. If they think the film's fantastic, that's their opinion. They think it's fantastic. Just yep. because um, they've enjoyed it and you didn't like it doesn't mean that you should see that 
or the studio has gone and paid them. That's not the case. No, I, I think out there, and Neil can remain quiet on this one because he's on the other side of the thing, but I genuinely think that some critics are paid to write good reviews on the massive films because if they shit all over a Marvel movie or something, they ain't getting no set invites or private jet um, trips to Hawaii to watch the premieres, but that's just my cynical side of things. But And then there's also the other side where critics will rip a film to bits and they've never even watched it, so... You know, yeah, I fall in. I fall yeah. in between. I don't care if I hate a film. I'll see her. I hate a film. If I like a film, I'll see her. I like a film. I just couldn't care, care less. No, I do. I, I will always find. I watched a, a British film the other week, and it wasn't great. And I wrote a constructive review that said it wasn't great, and then I sent it to the the production company. And unbeknown to me, I'd actually sent this thing to the film's director, and I'm like, because she said she came back, Neil, and she went. Oh, um, I didn't know who it was because it's a Twitter thing, so you only see a Twitter name. So they, they came back and they said, oh, you know, thanks very much for your thoughts. I agree with a lot of them. Here's the explanation on some of the questions you had. And by the way, you spelt my name slightly wrong on a couple of occasions. I'm like, well, who are you? Because <laughs> I only know you from your Twitter name. And she gave her name and I'm like, oh, shit, film's director. But she was fine with it because the negativity yeah. was constructive. It wasn't, it's shit. I got that as well. It, so. I I got that as well um, about uh, a couple of months ago when I was sent a screener of a film um, by the PR people, yep. and um, I reviewed the film. They asked for a link, so I thought, shall I actually send the link because I didn't like yeah. the film at all? Yep. But I th- screw it. I sent them the link. They sent me um, an email back saying, "Oh, we understand your criticism of the film. We appreciated the fact that you were honest." Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, is this a joke? And then no, they no, send they me do. another email a couple of weeks later saying, do you want to review this film? Like, okay, fine, I'll review that film then. It's a good job that film that they did actually send me, a film called Our Evil, was actually a really good film. So mm-hmm. I'm now back in their good books. Yeah, I always send them the links back because that way it shows that you're actually watching it and doing them favours and stuff. But yeah, yeah. on the other side, you will probably come across people who will look at the review if it's negative and go, well, I ain't letting you rec- review my film in future. And then you won't hear from them. But So it can yeah. go either way. Yeah, we, we actually had the situation where uh, a very famous uh, Los Angeles um, uh, publication, you know, one of the top two, uh, either Hollywood Reporter or Variety, I can't say which, um, actually, you know, wanted to review the, our, our latest film, Rogue Warrior, and we sent them a link. And, of course, we have stats on these links, you know. They literally watched 10 minutes and then skipped ahead to about, you know, uh, 50 minutes in, watch another minute, and then that was it. That's all they watched, and then they wrote this this scathing review, and it was like, you could tell from the review they never watched the movie, but it was kind of like, we, we actually had the proof, and we threw it at the editor to say, you're, you're, this guy you paid to review the movie um, has not watched the film and has written a, a review based upon, you know, what he thought the movie was going to be, and he got it completely wrong. And I, I imagine this happens all the time, you know, where, you know, in the high end of things, you're paying a review and he has all these things to do and he's got a little bit full of himself. But we were considering suing this reviewer because, you know, it, it's, it's on our side of things, you know, it was actually, uh, you know, it was our movie and, and it's, it's our investment. And when you have a shitty review out there, it pulls the movie down. But when you've got a shitty review that does not relate to the movie and, you know, was the movie was not watched, and they talk they talk shit about you as a person. Um, 
you, you kind of have to take a bit of offense at that because yeah. it's, you know, it's, there was a big twist basically halfway through the film that would have made that guy wake up and go, oh, wow. You know, but it's, it, I think it's a very common situation that, you know, the, uh, these high-end reviewers are not often watching the movie. I remember, uh, let's see, a friend of mine was in, in the movie with, uh, is it, uh, one of the Star Wars movies with Roger Ebert. And, you know, first time he'd ever seen the film, I think it was Return of the Jedi. He fell asleep like 20 minutes into the film and was snoring all the way through the film and then wrote a, a scathing review. And, I mean, you know, people see this. So, you know, I, I, I get both sides of it, but I, I, I feel at least, you know, a reviewer should, before he writes a bad review or good review, should give the film its 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 due and watch it, you know. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 to this day, would never throw anything ever again at, at one of these um, big major Hollywood publications because, you know, begging for review. I'm sure there's got to be some cash thrown in somewhere or some incentive. Um, I've seen it firsthand, you know, in the sense of these journalists have flown in and given nice um, hotel rooms and food and alcohol and all that stuff. There, There is a whole, you know, little, little song and dance around some of these journalists. And... That that is the business, because you know a good review will you know help you movie in the first the first few weeks. It is money, you know. It still comes back to profit. So why wouldn't you pay off the the reviewers? You know what I mean? Seriously, you you you. There are people who do that, and you know I I I understand it because it is money. This is a business. It's not a. It's an art form in some sense. But when you are, when you've invested your entire savings for you. If you've worked your entire life and saved all this money and then you spend that money on a movie and then somebody doesn't even watch it and then gives it a bad review and that costs you, you know, millions of dollars, which has happened to me. You know, I've, well, I say it's cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. I had a movie, uh, let's see, now that is a really interesting example. I did a film called Humanity's End in 2006 and the film leaked out, a rough cut leaked out on the internet three weeks before the movie came out. And it was the number one most downloaded movie for three weeks in a row. Uh, but all these people were, were reviewing the film, watching the film, downloading it for free, reviewing it on IMDb or wherever, on blogs and stuff, and saying this is a terrible movie, It's the music's terrible, it's this, the editing's terrible. They saw a rough cut of the movie, and then they reviewed it badly. And... You know, my reviews were horrendous on that film. And then give it three years later after it came out of Blu-ray and DVD worldwide, um, the reviews got better and better and better because people saw the director's cut of the film or the real cut of the movie. And it, 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 it nearly destroyed me financially. It took me three years to recover from that financially um, to the point where the movie just, just made its budget back, but only just. You know, people watch that movie and say, oh, it's not a bad movie, not as bad as the reviews say. That's because of what happened. I think the same thing happened with Wolverine. You know, there was a rough cut leaked out on the original Wolverine movies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that's just the, the other side of, the, of, of, of the, um, the business, you know, and it does happen. Thankfully, it doesn't happen with, you know, the all reviewers, but it just happens with some of the major publications, you know, and, and that's, that's a business and that is the business. And that's why we don't listen always to those major reviewers. We pay more attention to the... Um, the Stu Millers and the Stuart Bannermans of this world, you know, and, and because they have something to say, you know, and they will legitimately give a good review or a bad review, you know, well, good constructive criticism goes a long way. I think. 
I will, I will tell you a quick story about something that happened to me last month. So I was spending time on Twitter, as I've been known to do now and again. And a production company put out a tweet that they were just they were rendering the final version of their trailer. And they were very happy to have reviews from, from website X and from page to screen on it. So I messaged them and I said, um, hate to tell you this, but I've not seen your film. And they came back with, oh, we're just, uh, we've got one of your quotes on it from the previous film we released we didn't think you would mind if we used it on this film <laughs> oh, wow. so i said well if you want to send me a link over i'll watch your new film and then i'll supply a quote for that and they said right well we're just we're rendering the trailer though um are we okay to use this previous quote i went no you're not and this thing went on for about 45 minutes and they ended up saying, well, we didn't think you'd have a problem with it. I said, I, I have no problem with supplying a quote for you, but I need to watch the film first. Don't you dare put a quote out from a previous film for your new film. And luckily, this new film was nowhere near as good as the previous one. I said, look, you look after your brand. I look after mine, but do not use a quote from me that isn't for the film that you're using the thing on. They would have gone out. Had I not seen that tweet, I really do think they would have put that trailer out with whatever quote I use for a totally different movie oh, so it's, okay. uh, it's like what so yeah there was a bit of a battle went on that I ended up winning so wow. crazy crazy world so Stu mm. have you got these topics could you look out your window and see what they are because I'm curious because I don't even know what they are no it was just that um, one I was thinking of was uh, looking back over 2017 was there any films that anybody watched where you were surprised that you actually liked them Neil, mother. Bob, do you want to take... Oh, I want to watch Mother. Yeah, I, I couldn't stand Mother. I love Darren Aronofsky, I, I just, though. I just think it was Darren Aronofsky just picking a lot of stuff out of his own arse. <laughs> it, it, it was um, very similar to the way Tarsum Singh directs these films. Um, he was just doing exactly the same. That that he was just, um, just being pretentious. And I hear pretension in films where it doesn't have a point. And it was just him going... Oh well, this film can be seen as different other things. It's depending on how you're going to latch onto it. Very similar to the way Terence Malick has directed his last oh. few films. <laughs> he, if you've watched Song to Song, for example, it was in my worst films of the year list because that film is like a Calvin Klein advert, but shot on an iPhone for about twenty pence. It is just wow. really badly done. But yeah, this mother, I just could not get on with mother. Really couldn't get on with it. Oh, Neil, have you yeah, seen I Mother? Could. Yeah, I, I I haven't made it. I I, I I guess, you know, I I always I've always judged movies too quickly, and you know sometimes films are like a, a wine they got to breathe. You know, now talking about Terrence Malick, I think he did Tree of Life, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm trying to plow my way through that one at the minute. Well, that's a that's a hard going film. I I was like, what the, what the f is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you're right. It was like you have know, just somebody being pretentious. That was the first viewing. Somehow I got to see it again and again uh, in pieces. And it started growing on me. And I thought, huh, hang on, there's something here. It's quite interesting. And I'm actually looking forward to watching it again, even though I, I absolutely just detested the first viewing. I thought, this guy is so far up his own ass. It's, it's ridiculous. But for some reason, it suddenly starts to grow on you. And I, I know I, I'm – have a feeling that maybe mother will, will be the same. I don't know. You know, I, the first, you're right. The first time it was like, Oh boy, you know, somebody, somebody likes looking at themselves in the mirror and taking selfies all the time. 
you know, or looking up their own ass, literally. But um, I, I get a gut feeling that sometimes these films turn into other films and they start to resonate. It's the same way um, uh, Eraserhead, you know, the more you watch it, the more it resonates with you and the more it starts to infect your dreams. And I, I you know, I, I always give a film a couple of years sometimes, you know, when if, if I have an initial, you know, ew reaction, um, it, it gives me, you know, it, it, it forces me to step back and have a, have a look. There was another film actually, um, Baz Luhrmann made, uh, which I absolutely hor- horrendously hated. Um, an old film. Oh God. It was a musical thing with, with Nicole Kidman and, and, um, Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. Yeah. yeah. And now first viewing that, it was like, Oh boy, this is just, oof. yeah, I wanted to throw up seriously. It was that bad yet. Second viewing. Hmm. My God, he's a clever guy, you know? And then third viewing, he's like, he put a lot of work into this. So now, you know, now I actually appreciate the movie, but it's just, I have these gut reactions, you know, and then, Sometimes they're wrong, so I'm I'm waiting to I'm 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 on the fence about Mother, but you know I'd love to know what other movies have, you know, disgusted other people, <laughs> because I when I hear it's that bad, sometimes I want to watch it, you know, sometimes I want to say oh I've got to watch Mother, you know I I made it my point to watch Mother because of the bad press, it made me want to watch the movie, so you know go figure. Anything that you saw last year, Bob, that you didn't think you'd like that you actually did. Um, nothing comes to mind. I mean, basically, I mean, a lot of the films that uh, I have watched historically um, have been ones that you've suggested. Yeah. And I, you know as well as I, there's been a few that I've really not been eager to watch, but you've basically come along and said, look, give it a go. And, uh, you know, some of them have been a lot better than I expected. Um, I think one of the big problems you have with a lot of the box office releases is hype before it comes out and you go in with greater expectations than you would have and that can ruin a film for me. Mm-hmm. Also uh, the other way around as well, when, yeah. when critics are saying this is terrible and it's the worst film ever, so you don't watch it in cinema, you pick it up on Blu-ray, you watch it and you go, actually... I wish I'd seen that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dark Tower for me that got critically hammered. We watched it the other week. It's like, I really like that film. Oh, that was really good. I'm still going to watch it. It's good. Well, I've read the books, so Uh, give it a go, definitely. That that may hammer you then, because I think apparently they've taken like two or three books and stuck it all in a 90-minute film, so it'll be interesting to hear your take on it. But (laughs) that film had been bashed by pretty much everybody. And we sort of picked it up just because why not? You know, we're mopping up some of the, the big films of last year, and we. Oh, it's got some it. good guys in. Yeah, it has. Yep. Yeah. I'm not one to knock things, you know, without actually watching and what have you. Um, yeah, you do tend to put a bit of uh, weight in what other people have said, you know, film critics, etc., the press. But again, like you say, you know, as has been said slightly earlier today, um, <laughs> A lot of the times, these people reviewing them haven't actually watched it fully. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we so. heard how crap Pirates of the Caribbean 5 was. We bought it, and it was. So, you know, sometimes the critics do get <laughs> okay, it. Yeah, sometimes that they was get it not back. a great film. It's like, oh, gee, why have I bought this? But Dark Tower, I thought, was quite good. Ah, I'm looking forward to watching that one. Yeah, 
good. Yeah, surprisingly for me, um, Resident Evil, the final chapter. I'm a huge Resident Evil fan. I wouldn't have a tattoo on my arm if I wasn't a Resident Evil fan. But um, the previous two Resident Evil films prior to the final chapter were absolute dog shit, to be <laughs> honest. But this one was what I was actually looking for. It felt like playing the fifth game in the series. It was it was completely brain dead, but it understood that it was brain dead. But what Paul W.S. Anderson decided to do, is, instead of him making an absolute CGI mess, he went back to practical effects again. Yeah, there is CGI in the film, but there is a lot of practical effects, and so it felt like you were re-watching the first one again, but with better technology. And I, I felt like when I came out of the cinema, I went, I enjoyed myself. That's a bad, Stuart. You're a bad person for enjoying exactly. that film. Don't but I, I did. I, I enjoyed it. it. It was fun. It was loud. It was brash. It was, didn't take itself serious. It was gory. It was over the top. It was just fun. And that it surprised the hell out of me. Same with Captain Underpants. With a name like Captain <laughs> Underpants, you look at it and go, oh, it's going to be another one of those typical shitty emoji movies or, or something like that. But at the end of it, you don't realize how much you laughed throughout the film itself because it's stupid childish fart jokes and things like that. But you're giggling like a little kid and you come out of it with a big, huge, massive smile on your face. And if a film can do that, when you went into the cinema going, I'm going to absolutely despise this pile of crap. But you come out and go, I really like that movie. You just, yeah, it's, it's a surprise to yourself. I mean, so the way that you watch films is very different to the way that I watch films. I could never imagine going into a cinema going, oh, this is going to suck. Because I just wouldn't go in, so it it always makes me sort of baffled and and chuckle a little bit when you will go into a film thinking it's going to suck. Yeah, so usually I go in thinking it's going to be good and come out thinking well that sucked. So. And Annabelle creation as well, because the first Annabelle movie was terrible. Um, the the first one was directed by a guy called John Leonetti, who did two films in 2017, and both those films made my worst film list. Oops. He did Wish Upon and Wolves at Your Door. Wish Upon was that one where it was a girl, she found a box which grants her wishes. But it was one of those stupid movies where she realizes how to stop it all, but she still continued doing the wishes. <laughs> all she had to do was just throw the box out, but she still she thought, oh, by wishing more, it might actually stop the bad things that's happening. You dumbass, that's not the case. And um, Wolves at Your Door was a film which was about the Manson killings. And he thought he was making a smart film. It's only on for 70 minutes, but it's 70 minutes too long. Oops. <laughs> so that, that film's awful. But Annabelle Creation is actually a really good version of Annabelle. It's what Annabelle should have been. It Yeah, it's it's stupidly where it's actually created. It's not on the, like, the dumb level of like Cult of Chucky, uh, but it is still sort of like silly in a way. But it works because the director knew what the audience was for that series. They were after these build-up kind of scares, these creepy kind of elements to it, and it worked. That's how Annabelle should have been. But Annabelle Creation, it surprised me because the first one was Pants. So what's your separate second topic then? So we've yeah, got a I few films. Yeah, I can't think of it, to be honest. Um, it was an invisible topic. Yeah. Wow. Can we, can we have a topic where we can punch this Logan Paul in the face? Is everybody familiar with this dickhead? <laughs> yes. You know, why, why does anyone care about this little little twat? 
I, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, that's, a very, that's a very valid point, actually. It's like, he's a dickhead. I did actually tweet at him and said he was the scum of humanity uh, midweek. I saw, I saw that. that that's the that only one. reason I even heard of him. I saw your tweet. I thought, who is this little twat? And I was like, oh, boy. The only problem is by doing something like that, it's giving him more of the energy so he can inflate his ego even more. Because I think he's one of these absolute bellends who feeds off negative negativity. No matter what he does, if you see him in the videos that he do, does, and when you see all of these people who are praising him, he feeds off that. But he is the one of those idiots who looks at the negative side of things and feeds off that even more by trying to top the negative things. And so he just feeds off absolute any bullshit that people throws at him. He's one of those people that... If you ignore him, he will disappear. Hopefully. And I de- nobody will actually ignore him because there are people out there who are just so infatuated by that bell end. Exactly. <laughs> I would happily drown him in a bucket of cat semen if I could get away with it. Oh, Poor cat. Mental power. How would you, yeah. how would you <laughs> get this bucket in the first place? I would like to see how you, uh, you actually you know, fill the bucket up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not milking the cats for you. No, I'm not. No, they can milk themselves. They can. Uh, yeah. They will happily chip in to uh, drown this little rat bag. So, <laughs> but no, I, I heard the name on another podcast, and they were going into the whole storyline. I'm like, I never even heard this dickhead before. So then I looked him up online just to see how many followers he had. I'm like, yep, he's got quite a hefty following. Not as many yeah. as he previously did, which is quite good. So some people are leaving the little rat bag, but uh, yeah. he's like. So. It shows how disingenuous he is. He's very similar to PewDiePie, for example. PewDiePie in yes. 2017 made a, a blunder during a live stream of him playing uh, PUBG, playing on Battlegrounds. And when he said the N-word <gasps> now, live, it wasn't pre-recorded. He said it live. And then a couple of days later, because obviously his press office and the fact that he's got millions and millions and millions of followers, he did this disingenuous thing going, oh, I'm really sorry. It was a mistake. I didn't mean to say it. Bloody, bloody, blah. Because they can get away with it. It'll get brushed under the rug. And then PewDiePie is back to having these 15, 20, 25, 30 million subscribers. And people forget about it. This Aaron Paul thing, it'll be, um, this Aaron Paul, Aaron Paul. No, Aaron, Aaron Paul blasted him. He, yeah. Did you not see that? Aaron it's, Paul actually came out and went, I hope you're rotten hell. It's like, go Aaron. <laughs> this Logan Paul thing, it'll be forgotten in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, which is a shame because, because the target has, audience are, the, you know, they're the adults he, 10 years from now, aren't they? So. He has the True, power yeah. of being able to do that, to make people forget it by making another video, which will make people forget his stupid video that he did. Yep, YouTube is not going to do anything about it because he gets in ad revenue and all that kind of uh, crap. The The statement that YouTube released about it was even more ridiculous than the statement that he released. Because yeah. they just turned around and says, this happens sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 at least once a week. And it probably happens to Neil as well. You're out with your camera, your video or corpse. You then go home, you upload the video to your computer, you edit it, you then render it, and then you upload it to YouTube. It happens all the time, at least once a week to me. You release it as the trailer for Necromantic 3. Yeah, of course you do. So I mean, it's a very big difference. Bob and I were chatting on the phone the other week, and it was uh, it was last week, and we were saying it's, that's, it's a very big difference if you live stream it and you capture yeah. something on camera. But if There's you capture you something... Then go home and edit it into your video, and then upload it to your YouTube channel. By choice, that, that's when you're a dickhead. If it so. was, um, if it was somebody who had half a million subscribers or less than that, they would have had, they would have made them castrate them or something like that. 
But because yeah. he's got so many subscribers, he brings in ad revenue and he brings Google lots of money. They don't care. No, they don't. That's the sad thing, isn't it? I yeah. put um, some of my films up and it's got music on it that is authorised. And yet YouTube will still go, Oi, what are you doing? Well, maybe I should just put a corpse in the videos. I don't know. Apparently that's all right. So uh, what's been the highlight of your week, Neil? Or the, or anything you've seen that excites you that you want to talk about? Other than obviously appearing on this podcast, which would be the highlight, you know. I, you know, I'm still dealing with, um, you know, being traumatized by the Last Jedi. To be honest, it, 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 <laughs> and I, I, you know, I haven't even, you know, I always watch Star Wars movies at least five times at the cinema. I haven't had the balls to go back and see it a second time, and I, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, it's this is unnatural for me to not go see a Star Wars movie. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm dealing. I'm seriously dealing with some emotional baggage about that, and I think I probably like Star Wars too much. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who is, you know, but uh, you know, I know it's not. I know it's not reality. I know it's not everything. But uh, I was, I was just, you know, I, I'm, I'm still in shock, and I think I'll come to terms with it in about a year's time about what that movie should be or is. Um, I applaud the director for having the balls to do what he wanted to do. But, you know, I, I don't have the right to criticize him. And that's the truth about it, you know, I, because he's, you know, he earned the right to do what he did. And that's fine. I just, I'm just terrified of what's going to come next. Because, you know, the, the, the thing that terrifies me with Star Wars is it's running off on a tangent without, a, you know, without us, without a, you know, somebody steering the ship. It is a ship that's just going off on, on different directions. And they, they've admitted, yeah, we didn't know what episode nine was going to be. We didn't know what episode, you know, 10 is going to be or any, they, they've admitted they don't know where it's going. And this was the problem of lost. If you ever remember seeing the series, uh, it was, you know, I, I know I enjoyed lost. I even enjoyed the last episode, but as a whole, you know, they didn't know what the ending was going to be. Oh, it was just like JJ said, let's throw in a smoke monster and a polar bear and this and that and all this mystery. And then I don't know what it's going to mean. Well, let's just do it. And, you know, that's, I, I don't you wish, don't you wish they'd planned a little bit and said, okay, we're going to put this in. It's going to mean this. It's going to relate to this and this and this and this. Don't you, don't you as an audience member wish that producers and directors can, you know, plan these things a little better? And not say, oh, we don't know where it's going, but it's 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 just a mystery, you know. Don't you don't you want to be rewarded by getting to the end of wow, that's a great ending. I never expected that, but I can see the the pieces put throughout the movie, you know, that 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 gave me that. You know, isn't isn't that the the glory that that we seek as viewers, you know? That we get to the end of the film and it's like, wow, what a journey and what a great ending. You know, it's 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 do you guys have you guys had movies like that that you you know you've been beautifully rewarded by the ending of the film. Is, is, is that ever come up lately? Has there ever been a satisfying ending for anything anymore? Uh, well, I think so. Cause I'm quite easy to please with films anyway. So I don't, there's not many films that I could think of where I'm like, right. That ending just kind of ruined everything for me. I'm not happy. Um, <laughs> or it seemed like it was lost, but you know, I, I wish the producers would lie to us and say, yep, we have a plan. Yep, we know exactly where we're taking the story. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in people who go, I have no idea where it's headed. He got a clue. Don't know. 
because you know it's either going to work or it's going to go horribly wrong. If it goes horribly wrong, it ends up like the TV show Heroes, mm. which kind of derailed as each season went on, and then they tried to course correct and fix itself as each season went on, and it didn't work. So that's the problem. Like um, I, 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 I mean, we're talking about these, you know, these internet. Um, Icons, you know, these PewDiePie and all, all these sort of people. I'm looking for the day when people get sick of that. And it's already happening. You know, reality television is, is as far as, you know, earnings potential go, goes, it is dying. Um, it is, you know, it, it's ending its life. And I'm extremely happy about that. It'll always be a thing, but it'll be a much smaller thing than what it ever used to be. And I'm just very glad that people are investing time, their, their precious time in things like Game of Thrones where it's a big story, but it has, it goes somewhere and it, it, it re rewards the audience with intelligence and, and drama. And, and, you know, I've been watching the crown, um, which is a British sheet. Have you guys seen the crown at all? No, I no. have um, but I know of it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's, it's, it's beautifully done. I, I, I was expecting it just to be a documentary on the queen. And I thought, Oh, here we go. Um, and what it is, it's, it is a documentary on the queen. But it raises questions about, you know, what happened in, the, in, the, in that moment in history. And I'm watching it going, I, I'm watching this, this series. I'm Googling nonstop, did this happen? Did that happen? And what's, this, what's yeah. the story behind this and that? And I'm actually really enjoying it. It's the people who made it cared, and you could tell. And they've, they've taken the time to, to really think things through and to put in things that maybe didn't really happen but could have happened. And... You know, it, it actually brought me to tears. There's one episode that actually brought me to tears. Um, it was just so beautifully done. You know, so I, I, I'm liking the fact that audiences are, are beginning to, and the, and the show is beautifully, you know, wonderfully acclaimed and doing really well. Who would have thought a documentary about a bunch, uh, sorry, a TV series about a bunch of people sitting in a castle talking and, you know, rubbing their chins a lot would have become so big, especially with Americans. But the crown has, you know, it's, it's kind of taken on, on a little bit of a life of its own. And it, it's, it's because people really care. And I'm just loving the fact that people, uh, you know, if, if, if the audiences respond to uh, some who, you know, hangs around dead bodies in, you know, in Japan and, and thinks he's cool, then we're empowering that guy, you know, to be, to do the same rubbish over and over. If we, if we stop listening to these people, if we start loving and buying the product like of Game of Thrones and the Crown or whatever it else it is, or Downton Abbey even you know for the for the regular people, if we start embracing and and revering good stories, then I I think there's hope you know for the for the, the future of the you know entertainment industry you know that's that's the hope I live in because you know I invest so much time in stories and putting little secrets in there in every film I do that people don't pick up until the tenth viewing and. You know, have have you guys ever had that experience where you watched a movie ten times and discovered secrets that weren't there on the first few viewings? It's happened oh, a yeah. lot. Yeah. How do you feel <laughs> when this happens? I really like it. You know, it's one of those ones you get a feeling of accomplishment when you kind of, you know, as you say, you've watched it four or five times, then suddenly it's case. Oh, I've never seen that before. That makes sense now. Yeah. I get the same when I saw Carl Weathers in Close Encounters of Third Kind the other month. I'm like, what? Because oh, <laughs> I, I watched the, the um, theatrical version, and he's in it. I'm like, huh? 
didn't know Carl Weathers was in it. So, because normally I would watch the extended cut, but I thought I'm going to go back and watch the theatrical one. And yep, he's in there as a military man. Wow. Wow. So, yep. There you go. Hmm. So that film looks yeah. glorious on 4K, by the way. And that got me for Christmas the Blu ray and the big funky book. The book's amazing. It's huge. Oh. <laughs> really good. It's got all these little inserts that come out. Well, don't come out because they're stuck to the pages, but like script pages and sketches and all that sort of stuff. I'll have to show you it next time you're up, Bob. It's yeah. a very <laughs> impressive book. Actually, I have a question for Stu Miller. Um, yeah. Has there been a film that you, you know, like you're like we're talking about films you like and hate, but you absolutely hated and then loved after a, f- a few viewings or somehow liked the movie. Um, you know, I think you mentioned a couple, but you know, what, what, what movies in your history have done a complete 180? Hoy, that's a diff- difficult question. Cause normally when, uh, when I've really hated a film, um, it's really difficult for me to actually rewatch it again to try and give it a second chance or third chance or something like that. I think, over recent years, the film that I liked a little bit better um, the second time, two actually, um, Insidious t- uh, Chapter 2, because I, I really liked Insidious, um, but when I watched Insidious Chapter 2, I thought, oh, what the hell have you done with the film? It just felt like a pastiche of uh, the first one. It just didn't work at all. But then I watched it a second time and thought, you know what? It's slightly better, but I think the film... I would say that again over the last few years that I watched the first time and then rewatched it on Blu-ray DVD and gave it a better a second chance and liked it a lot better was Prometheus. Yes. So I think Prometheus didn't didn't resonate with me at all. And I'm a I'm a huge fan of the Alien series, even Alien 3. I really like Alien 3. I think Alien 3 gets a bad rep, and I think it's a really good film. And um I watched Prometheus in the cinema and went, Oh, this is awful. But then when I watched it on Blu-ray and DVD, I re-watched it and kind of went, yeah, the, the scenes which I had a problem with, they're not, they're, they're not actually making me feel like they're problematic. There are, there are faults with them, but they're not as bad as I thought they were. So probably Insidious 2 and Prometheus over the last couple of years. What about Alien Covenant? No, I thought the film's terrible. And when I saw Alien Covenant for the first time, I thought the film was bad. When I f- saw the film for a second time, I thought there were even more problems. A few of the problems that I had with it the first time, um, I glossed over. But I actually was finding more problems with it the second time I saw it. So I, I thought that, yeah, I thought that film was bad. Mm. What about? I was going to say, it's turn it round. Have there ever been any films that you've watched? You know, on and you've liked on the first watching, then kind of you've watched it again and you've started picking holes. I do that with every single film I watch <laughs> yeah, anyway. I was, gonna, I was gonna say he does that anyway, Bob. <laughs> ah, but same to Neil. Yeah, Neil. Question Avatar, Avatar. I liked it in the cinema, yeah. hated it yeah. when it came out on Blu-ray DVD. I thought that film was just a pretentious piece of crap. <laughs> so uh, Avatar is a prime example of that. Because I, yeah, I, I, I was I think I was swept up by the hype. Of Avatar, and then when I, um, I think the other film, and Stuart will not be surprised with me seeing this, but uh, the other two, yeah, you, you, the rest will actually be surprised. The Exorcist, because I think yeah. that film is one of the most overrated horror films ever made. Or but when I watched, when I watched, <laughs> the, when I watched it the first time, I thought it was fine. I yeah, I was ten when I first saw it. 
but that's that's because I saw a shit ton of horror films prior to that anyway. But um, when I watched it the first time, I thought, yeah, this is actually not bad. When I watched it when it was re-released in cinemas, I thought, oh, why did I actually think that this film was re- uh, not that bad? It's just, it's not very good at all. I, I still th- I think the same with The Godfather. I'm one what? of the few people. Yeah, I know. I, I'm one of the few people who do not like The Godfather. And so, yeah, I get that reaction a lot. What? You don't like The Godfather? You can't review films. Get out. Oh, no, you can review films. You just can't correctly do it. (laughs) Yeah, I just didn't like The Godfather. When I first saw it, I thought I was was actually watching it with parents. And so it was that naivety there. And just when I watched it on my own, I just thought, oh, well, this film just stop. And I've got a patient. I've got patience of a saint now when it comes to films especially films that take absolutely forever to get a, a storyline across and i just even felt like that was pushing its patience with me did you ever get around to watching the second and third godfather yeah i've seen know. the trilogy and i think all. the trilogy yeah. is pants it's real pants <laughs> oops uh. There you go. That was a, that was a moment. That was a that was a moment silence for um, for the Godfather. <laughs> We're just like paying a tribute because we actually enjoyed the rant. <laughs> oh, it's it's great. Yeah, you oh, it, does, to, um, it does yeah. get worse. You should give me an Adam Sandler film to review, and then you'll get a rant. Oh, the ridiculous oh, no, I'm six. On that. No, I like Adam Sandler, but the ridiculous six is bloody awful. So, hmm. uh, but a lot of them I enjoy because I know what I'm going to get when I go in and watch them. So. You know, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was that. Yeah, the, the whole Godfather thing. It's like what I think The Exorcist. I do love The Exorcist. I think it's one hell of a film. I think it's a great film. Would I call it a great horror film? I don't know, because for me, it's a very subtle. It's a film that's got creepy bits in it, rather than watch this. It's an amazing horror film. But I do love The Exorcist. But I think it was just when that film came back out because it was withdrawn for many, many years here in the UK and it got a VHS release and a DVD release at the time and a lot of people went into it for the first time and a lot of people didn't like it. And I think that's just how audiences have changed now, I think. I think audiences are like, right, put the film on, right, show me stuff now, give me it. Whereas films like Blade Runner, it's slow films, a lot of people haven't got the patience to watch stuff like that. But uh, yay, Exorcist. Oh, boo. <sighs> Has everybody watched Bright on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What nope. do you think? What do you think, Neil? Oh, jeez. Um, oh, oh. You know, I, I, well, you know, I thought Joel Edgerton's in it, isn't he? He's the, yep. Uh, yep. the creature thing. Um, I thought he was amazing. I, I, firstly, hats off to that guy. He can act his socks off and create a character like, that you feel with, you know, you just go along the road. I, I, I have to praise him for his, his, his absolute amazing acting. Um, you know, it just seemed to be by, it, it was painting by the numbers for me, hmm. aside from yeah, him, yeah. you know, he, he kind of did, he knocked one out of the park as far as acting goes. And the concept is great. And I enjoyed the first 20 minutes and then it just became a shootout film. You know, once all the secrets had been revealed and it was like, Oh, there's a girl with the, the secret, you know, the secret crystal and blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, we're going back into the regular movie territory. It's like they chickened out from, from, you know, going to this wonderful mythos and say, okay, now we have to pay our dues and do the, you know, the, the standard movie ending. And, you know, it was, it didn't, it was, I enjoyed the viewing, but I, I lost 
I lost passion for it halfway through. And I think the uh, producers did as well because, you know, they've, and I've been there. And I honestly, I have been there to the point where, okay, you make a movie, you have to cr cross the T's and dot the I's in certain ways to guarantee a sale to certain territories. It's happened to me to the point where you must do this, you must do that, or you won't make your budget back or you'll be um, stealing food for the next year. You know, it's, 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 I've been in that exact situation where if you don't do this, you're going to lose money for a bunch of people. Um, and so I think that's what happened. It's like, okay, we have to do this and that. But because it was, I was watching on Netflix and I know I was playing in the theater as well. Um, it, it kind of harkened back to the nineties. Like this movie would have been great 10, 20 years ago, but now because of my viewing habits and watching things on Netflix, it didn't grab me. You know, I, I was more invested in the story and the mythos of the whole thing. And the setup of it was, was, was really nice, but I wanted that to go like 20 levels further. And they just stopped and said, okay, let's make this an action fest so that we can make money in the theater and, and make the, the Chinese audiences happy. Basically. Um, <laughs> it did. You yeah. mentioned sort of going back to the eighties and one other. It reminded me of an old Dolph Lundgren film called dark angel. Or yes. I think it was called I Come in Peace or something like that, a different title. But yeah, that sort of thing, where it's it gives you a premise, sets it up, and you, it's, you know, there's no massive twists in it or whatever. Uh, I mean, any twist in Bright was spotted a mile off. I don't know about you, but it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But I enjoyed yeah. it, but it's not. I'm not going to rush out and purchase a DVD or a Blu-ray when it comes out or whatever. It's just like, yeah, I'm glad I watched it. It's fine. I'm okay watching it for free. Yeah. They made clip. money on it. They've made money on it. That's for sure. They've actually made their somehow yeah. made a you know a ton of profit on it, and they They're will make. They're about doing number two, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. number two was greenlit before the first one had even aired. So wow, uh, but it's it's watchable. So it's fine. You know, it's an hour and a half, couple of hours or whatever. But don't need to I, think I, about I, it. I, no. I, you know, I'm I'm getting the feeling that you know, obviously, movie movies have independent films are dead as far as um, making money goes, you know, and I, I'm, I'm having made uh, some 14 plus feature films that are all about 90 minutes. I'm loving the fact that I've got a movie right now that is eight hours long, that yeah. I don't have to force myself into the conventions of, okay, it's got to have a 10 minute opening. It's got to do this by, you know, 20 minutes in, it's got to do this by 30 minutes. I'm loving the fact that I don't, I'm not bound by the, the uh the rules of a movie and i felt that one was was bright was was bound by its rules you know it's yeah. it's it's a movie it's netflix they could have gone off on some some amazing tangents and made it three hours long and it could have been a very entertaining uh piece of cinema but i i just felt they played it safe and you know i respect them for that but i've, and I've been there but my god once you take the shackles off oh you don't want to go back to the <laughs> way yeah. But this is from a company who had the balls to release Okja. Because Jun Ho Bong, who directed Okja, he did a film called Snowpiercers, which never has still not seen the light of the day in the, in the UK. And it was only released two years after um, it was initial release in the rest of Europe that it seen its way into America. And they looked at this Japanese director um, who, who did a film called The Host, and just thought, this is going to be his English language debut. Let's give him a chance about this huge, massive hippo creature that uh, this little girl needs to try and protect because this megalomaniac, played by Tilda Swinton in both roles, wants to try and kill it and harvest it for its meat and clone it. 
and that's a brave thing to actually release on its platform. Um, also, we need to talk about Monday or some, uh, some something similar in that uh, title voice uh, title there. Yes. Yeah, what the, happened to Monday, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. What happened yeah, to Monday? Yeah. The Numi Rapace oh, yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, where she plays seven different characters each um, day of the week. It's a very intelligent uh, premise. The film itself doesn't live up to its premise. It's okay, but it doesn't live up to its premise. But Bright just felt like offshoots from, from what I can gather, offshoots from other films, like science fiction fantasy films, like what Juan Antonio Biona would do or what bon Ju- uh, June Ho Bong would do, films like that. It just looked a little bit like that. It's felt very um, box office kind of stuff. It is the most expensive one they've released, isn't it? Right, yeah. budget-wise. Yeah, I think so, yeah. You can tell, so they, they felt like it looked like they were going down the usual typical routes because the, I don't know how well Okja did and I don't know um, how well the rest of the films that they've released have done outside of the Adam Sandler deal that they've had. But by the looks of things, if they're releasing something like Bright, then Okja didn't do very well. What was the uh, Idris Elba one they did? The the one, the African one. I think that was the first Netflix one that was pretty massive, and I've forgotten. It wasn't Beast of the Southern Wild. No, that's that a different one, but I'm sure Beast it like of that No Nation. Sort of, that's the one. That's yeah. It. Yeah, that is a cracking film, but it's like, they sort of take chances and stuff. But Bright is typical. And there's nothing wrong with a typical popcorn, run in the mill, sci fi, alien nation type movie, but, you know. It was very alienation, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Which I like. I used to like that. So I've seen the film, I've seen the TV show, and it's like, and it did remind me a lot of that. So, but you know, Will Smith plays Will Smith. It's as close to his bad boys role as I think we're going to get for a few years. Yeah, I'd like to see him take a risk again in his life. You know, that would be great. He's getting better. At least he's shaking off uh, the After Earth type Will Smith, where he's trying to shoehorn his kid into every film he's in yeah and, uh, you know I think he was very good in Suicide Squad I thought even though a lot of people didn't like the film another David Ayer one um, but that's what happens when that. you let he was good in that yeah and that's yeah. what happens when you let an advertising company edit your movie but uh, you know <laughs> go figure <laughs> uh, I watched two films I watched today I watched Office Christmas Party which made me laugh with TJ Miller that was on Amazon Prime and I watched Bad Santa 2 which also <laughs> made, which also made me laugh. It was we just wanted something stupid to watch, so we just watched those two films, and they made me laugh. Neither are going to win any Oscars, but you know, they were uh, they were crude and funny. I had Santa too. Bad Santa too. I want to watch that. It's fights on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'll be watching that this week. It is. I thought it was. It just made me laugh. But uh, nowadays, I so especially before I do a podcast, I think. Can I like this film? Will Stu Miller kill me <laughs> for liking it? <laughs> That's usually my thought. So, what uh, what films have we got coming out this year, Stu? That you're excited about, or that we should maybe be? Um, well, the studio uh, Ghibli apologist here. Um, the spin-off studio, Studio Panok, released their first film this year called Mary and the Witch, which is out in America in two weeks' time and over here in May, which I'm eagerly waiting for because obviously it's Ghibli related. Yep. Um, Annihilation, Alex Garland's new film. That looks okay. really good. It does look exciting, doesn't it? It looks really cool. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, Winchester, the horror film with Helen Mirren in it about 
uh, a megalomaniac woman who decided to um, create the most mind-bending house possible. They would keep on adding stuff onto the house um, throughout the years, and so it's got multiple different rooms, very similar to the Darren Lynn Bowsman film Abattoir. But hopefully, I, I really hope that it's not as crap as that. That film, <laughs> good good premise about uh, um, Abattoir. The premise is really good in Abattoir. It's just about when a murder happens in a spe- in a room um, anywhere in America. There's this organization which ends up coming, taking that room away from where the murder happened and then piecing this huge, massive house together with rooms of where murders happened in. It's an intriguing idea. It just falls apart completely. Um, The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro's new film. It's out in a, it did really well in America. It's out over here in, um, in, February, which I can't wait for that because Del, Do- Del Toro is my favorite director, so I can't wait for that. Pacific Rim Uprising might be fun. I really like the first Pacific Rim, so it might be fun. Um, the New Mutants, the only superhero film that I'm looking forward to this year because it's taking a horror route to it. Uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, just because it's directed by Juan Antonio Bayona and he's using them. A lot of it is practical effects. So in that trailer that you, uh, they released, a lot of that is practical effects. Yeah. Ninety um, percent of that trailer was yeah. practical, isn't it? So it's like a yeah. high number. So. They actually Rick did build a sh- by dinosaurs. It's what? Sorry. It's got, it's got real genetically modified dinosaurs. Part. Yep. You know, the- <laughs> <laughs> um, the Predator, Shane Black, going back to the Predator series. Yeah. It's what do you that- think of that? What What do you really think of that? Do you think? You know, like Stu, your, your your opinion on the Predator films. I would love to hear what you think of you know, of what you think of the the, the films. I like um, the first Predator film with Schwarzenegger in it. I think it's fun. I actually quite like Predator Two as well. Um, Me too. It, it's Me too. not bad. It, it's fun again. Um, Alien versus Predator. It's watchable. Just Alien versus Predator Requiem is not watchable and not even just. Oh, I prefer Requiem I to really AVP. The moment you see a, a, a face hugger go into a maternity ward and face hugging and kill a pregnant woman, you're like, this film's ballsy. <laughs> it's, I, I have no idea. Or is it that one where the kid's running through the forest hunting with his dad and he just gets face hugged and killed? You're like, yeah. this is taking a few uh, a few chances, so bring it on. No, I, I really <laughs> did not like it. It just, uh, no. It's directed by the Strauss brothers. That prior to doing that, they were just sci- they did um, special effects. So um, and then yeah, they've done visual effects for things like Geostorm and Beowatch and Conjuring and um, Rampage, which is based off the video game. And so they've done three hundreds. So they're fantastic with special effects, and you can tell that the way they actually did um, did Alien versus Predator Requiem, but they directed Skyline. Skyline's a pants film. We may, we may talk about the second Skyline just before this episode ends. I'm curious, but also nervous to get your thoughts on that. But yeah, yeah what about um, Predators? Isn't yeah, it? Um, so I ca- the reason why I'm looking forward to this is the first time that Shane Black and Fred Decker has actually teamed up since um, The Monster Squad because Fred Decker directed The Monster Squad and it was written by Shane Black. So they're flipping it around. So Shane Black is directing Predator. And it's written by Fred Decker. And it's the first thing that Fred Decker has done in years. 
and I rewatched the Monster Squad for the first time a couple of days ago. It's still not available on Blu-ray and DVD in the UK. I watched it on Now TV, and I, I love that film. It's nostalgia, it's fun, and you look at it and think, if they just tweak a few little scenes, it could have been a 12-year, very similar to The Goonies. But yeah, it's a slightly more adulty version of The Goonies, but it's the first time that those two were teaming up together for since The Monster Squad, and if what they did together with The Monster Squad, if they bring that over to Predator, I'm just going to enjoy it, if that's the case. So uh, I've got middle kind of expectations for it, but that that's where it's staying. Yeah, what, what, I, do you, what do you think of Predators, the, the, the Robert Rodriguez? Uh, it's not bad, on. actually. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not bad. Again, it falls. I think it falls in the same area as Predator 2. If you got on with Predator 2 and you thought Predator 2 was fine, then Predators, the Robert Rodriguez film, is very similar in tone to Predator 2. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What do you think, Bob? What's your take on the Predator franchise, if you've seen them all? I've not seen all of them, but um, it was one of those, uh, like I said, the first one set the scene and uh, very good. Second one, like I say, a lot of people kind of didn't like it, but I did. Um, yeah, I love to. I, I, I yeah. actually adore to. Yeah. Um, but again, like you say, after that, it started going a bit stale. Yeah. You know, so if they can put something new into it, you know, reinvigorate it, all good, you know. I mean, there's a lot of background there. Like you say, you've got the spin-offs of all, like, the computer games and everything. You know, there's a lot of cosplay of people doing Predators, etc. You know, a lot of people like them, but... Yeah, dude, the Dark Horse comics. Yes. Of course, which were, you know... <laughs> so... So, yeah, what has been, this is a question for everybody, so I'll start with you, Stu. What's been the, the best movie you've seen in the past, well, this year? What's the best film you've seen? Not necessarily like it's going to be your film of the year, but just personally, what's the highlight that you've seen this week? He's um, struggling to come up with one. Yeah, because <laughs> I had to watch Day of the Dead Bloodline. Oh, why? Oh, we had, yeah. It's the sort of pseudo-remake slash sequel to Day of the Dead it's awful. Oops. Uh, pass. Oh no, that's bad when you've not come up when you've not watched the. Yeah, considering that my the the film of twenty seventeen for me was a monster calls that came out on January the first. Yeah. So oh. I, I'm passing. Bob, what have you watched? Can be TV if you've not watched any movies. Um. Well, literally, it's a case of I've not watched much this week. I've got a, as you know, picked up a couple of new Blu-rays, new to me. Um, one that I'm sure Mr. Miller will uh, quite happily slate me for. Uh, but I've Maybe. picked up um, the uh, World of Warcraft movie. Oh, God. It, Has anyone uh, watched No, I haven't. Yeah, I've seen it. What Is do you reckon? Good? Well, because I'm... I'm um... I love video games as well. I've got a knowledge with movies and video games. My video game knowledge is very similar to the one for my for films. So I know sort of like the backstory regarding Warcraft as well, World of Warcraft. And I like Duncan Jones. There was a few stuff in that film when I went to see it at the cinema, which I got, which only hardcore World of Warcraft fans would actually get. Now, I'm not a hardcore World of Warcraft fan. I just know the, the myths and the stuff behind it. It's It's watchable. But I think if you watch it now, it'll remind you of watching Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
I'll just Absolutely. leave it at that. Still want to watch it for the simply. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I picked it up. I used to play World of Warcraft, so probably similar background to yourself. But um, again, I, I'm showing my age here. I'm a big fan of Clancy Brown, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he does in it. There's a there's a scene in the first ten minutes of the film which only people who know World of Warcraft and um, Hearthstone will actually get. And I think when I went to see it in the cinema. I think there was about five of us who got it, and I giggled. And it's just an <laughs> off-past kind of scene. Um, if yeah. you know what the murlocs are, and yes. you know what the murlocs sound, just yeah. listen out for the murloc sound in the first 10, 15 minutes of the film. It will make you giggle, because it did oh, make I me see. laugh as well. And people are probably listening to this going, what? I haven't a clue what the murlocs are, but it did make me laugh. Yeah, I remember I'm, them well. I'm one of those people. I'm like, yeah. um, little fish-like people Aha. make a very strange little noise, but it is very com- it, is, it is very comical. Yeah. Well, once Bob's watched it, I will probably be watching it lo- not too long after, so I shall yeah. listen for this this fish sound. <laughs> so, Neil, what have you watched that's uh, that's floated your boat in the past week, if anything? Uh, yeah, as I said, well, number one for me is. Uh, Blade Runner, you know, 2049 Blade Runner. I, I I cannot wait to watch that again. It's the sort of thing I've watched, and I think I need to watch it again immediately. And I, I want to dissect that film. You know, it, it was I, – I, I've, I've had religious experiences watching movies, and like with 2001, once I grew up, after the fifth viewing of 2001, it started to become like a religious – feeling for me and it was amazing and i usually get that, that feeling from most kubrick films but i was getting that same feeling from from 2049 so i'm i'm excited to watch that again you know uh and aside from that here, here comes a horrible shameless plug but uh, i've been cutting the time war at the moment which is my own film tv series and there's a couple of scenes in that that brought me to t- I was watched back, you know, I edited the film together and I watched it back and it brought me to tears. And I thought, wow, isn't that weird? Um, I haven't had that reaction in one of my own pieces of art for, uh, you know, for, for years, literally. And I've, I've, I hit a, an emotional high and I was like, oh boy, I've hit my, I've actually affected myself. So I'm excited to see my own movie because the nicest thing is when you can you finish your film and you've forgotten everything, and you watch it again three years later and you actually enjoy it, that, that's, that's a really nice moment in life to have. And um, I'm, I'm incorporating my love of things like 2049 and every Stanley Kubrick film in my own art. It doesn't mean I'll achieve those heights, but I, I'm so, so much in love with my own you know, creation at the moment and you know what Tracy Birdsell did, who's playing 20 different roles in the movie. And as I said, it brought me to tears in the edit room. And... Uh, you know, I'm I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm excited. 2049 or Blade Runner gives me hope for the future in the sense that movies are like Bright. You know, we're saying Bright it's so constrained by its own rules and it has to be a blockbuster and this and that. And it could have been an amazing piece of art. And 2049 shows me that there's hope, you know, that there's, uh, there's some great art still to be discovered in this world. And it, it just inspires me so much to to make, make good art, you know? So that's, that's it for me. You know, 2049 is going to be my top film for the next year, I think. 
nice. Well, I think we should sort of end the show on there because I was going to go on about a film that doesn't give hope. So, um, <laughs> But I want to end on a nice, happy note because, you know, Blade Runner has given us hope. And 2018, hopefully, for everybody on this podcast and everybody listening to it, and other than Logan Paul, so, you know, drowning cat semen, dude, um, will be a wonderful <laughs> year. And everybody will watch great films. And Stu Miller, in 12 months, will have a... He'll have a hard choice of just narrowing down this top 10 list for the year. It'll be a struggle because there'll be so damn many films on there. Not bloody you likely. Just, you just can't <laughs> narrow it down. There's just too many. All I'll say is that 20, if, it, if 2018 is better than 2017, it'll be miraculous because it, it was a slight... Re, I think it, out of since I've started doing the review show that I do... Um, 2017 was the hardest year for me to pick my 10 best films. It was so easy to do my worst list, but my best list, um, yeah, which, by the way, my worst list slightly changed as well, but my best list that was hard in 2017 to get there. The top three, like I said, in the last six months never changed. It always remained at um, A Monster Calls, My Life is a Courgette, and The Red Turtle. But the rest of the films was flipping around. But yeah, if 2018 is as strong as 2017, then no. It'll be miraculous if it is. Well, right up till New Year's Eve, my favourite film of the year was I, Daniel Blake, which was the first film I watched in 2017. And then the very last film I watched last year knocked it off its top spot. And my favourite film was War of the Planet of the Apes. Because that was just... We we sat and watched it on Blu-ray, put the lights out, Figured it would be a good film, but it blew us away. Poor old Annette was crying her eyes out at certain plot points. Bless her. Um, but no, I love that in, film. In that so. case, go with the technicality then, because um, I, Daniel Blake, came out in cinemas in 2016. So make it your 2016 film, and then War for the Plant of the Ips is your 2017 film. Yeah, it could do. Yeah. <laughs> I always go whether I, you know, when did I first watch it? Is, yes. uh, usually. So if I, I could watch one of Neil's films from five years ago and that would go into my favourite 2018. Yeah. So can I just say as well, Neil, on a final note, I watched Alien Dawn. That was a cool film. A lot of fun. You do love War of the Worlds. I do. You, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you saw the, uh, the, the, the passion I have for H.G. Wells in that movie. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It's like even the red weed and everything. I'm like, I love it. So a big smile on my face watching that because we've spoken about your love of War of the Worlds before, so I put that on. I'm like, yep, this is the one. A lot of fun. So that's good. And then I like your uh, little cameo in there as well as a guy called David Coverdale. Yes, he did call himself <laughs> David Coverdale in the credits. It's great. Yeah, there's a, I, I got to, uh, just before we finish, I, there's a reason for that. I, I, I used to uh, go and hang out with a heavy metal band called Man of War and do all their music videos and go on tour with them. And uh, the loudest metal band in the world. So we would be in Germany or somewhere like that having dinner. And this, this German guy, I, I know who you guys are. You're famous, aren't you? And then Eric Adams, the singer, would, would say, yeah, but this is, uh, you realize who this is. This is David Coverdale from the band Whitesnake. And then he would get completely get rid of the people. And they would go, oh, my God. And they want to talk about, you know, all the Whitesnake albums and stuff. And they really thought I was him. <laughs> And this happened so many times that people started calling me David Coverdale. Um, and then I actually had dinner with um, David Coverdale's band in Los Angeles. And they were they, halfway through dinner, one of the guys stopped and said, look, I, I got to tell you this. You are the spitting image 
<laughs> of our boss. You have the same mannerisms and the same way of speaking as David Coverdale's. I said, this is uncanny. And I said, wow. And, of course, he's much older, older than me, but that's, that's been, been a running joke. People actually have really thought I was David Coverdale a few times in my life, and, and uh, I don't think I look anything like him, but it's been a constant theme. So I named myself David Coverdale in a, in a, in a film. And I, love the, I love the fact that you said that Man of War was some of the loudest music you've ever heard. You should listen to the music that I listen to then. <laughs> well, that, that will make you question loud music. Well, I, I, that, yeah. Yeah, go on. What, what's your favourite? What's, what's your I'm, loudest? I'm into bands like CrossFaith and stuff like that. I went to see my first gig. I'm 37-year-old and I've only been to one gig. And I went to see a band called Enter Shikari, and that'll make ears bleed slightly. But yeah, I love really loud, extreme kind of music. Well, you see, you see, for me, Manowar, they, they had the world record of being the loudest band in the world. And, you know, as voted by the Guinness Book of Records, and they, they actually topped the record twice, but they didn't want to encourage, you know, people to, to make the, the, basically by, by the amount of noise they made, um, you know, that they are the officially the loudest band in the world. But uh, they're not that, you know, I, I agree with you, they're not the heaviest yeah. band. I went to Slayer concert and my ears were truly damaged after that. Um, <laughs> I've never had that with a Manowar show because they have clean sound, whereas, you know, a lot of bands will just make a lot of noise and it's distortion and it kind of really wrecks your ears. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm into black metal, to be honest with you. I like Cradle of Filth and stuff. So Very um, rare that they hear people saying that they like Cradle of Filth. I know, but I... I I, I just it's just a guilty pleasure for me. Yeah, I I really just, like Cradle of Filth as well, like Ninfetamine and stuff like that. But it's very rare to hear people saying they like Cradle of Filth. No, I'm 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 a I have every album. You know, I physically still buy their, their CDs and and you know Creator and Slayer and stuff. I, I it just makes me happy. It's my happy place in life. You know, I think yeah. you understand. Yeah, well, very few people have heard of the film Cradle of Fear and the fact that it is Cradle of Filth of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah, ears are still ringing after going to the John Carpenter concert, so, you know. Oh, like, you would, uh, your ears would just explode. <laughs> it'll, be like, it it'll be like scanners for you. Boom, your head would just blow <laughs> up if you listen to things like Cradle of Filth and um, just bands like that. You're just, what? Pretty much, I'd be able to say, "Why? Why do people listen to it? that's not music? What's the matter with these youngins?" Yep, yes. that would probably be me. So, well, thank you very much, guys, for taking time out on a Sunday night slash Monday morning to you, Neil. Um, thank you very much for episode four hundred. What's what have you got coming in the, the next week? What's your highlights, Neil? Are you still going to be doing more editing? Yeah, that's it. I'm meeting meeting with the Australian government and seeing if they would be kind enough to help me fund future films, uh, which is very exciting, but we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm just editing like crazy and, and that's it. That's my life. And I'm, I'm broke and extremely happy. <laughs> cool. I, I'm broke and extremely happy as well. So, you know, we've got that in common. So Bob, what's, uh, what's the highlight of your coming week? Yeah, I'm working on lates this next week, but, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, when I get in, just basically chilling out, watching, uh, well, literally Warcraft, and uh, probably going to give that bright a go, I think. It's worth watching. Well, It won't end up on your top ten list of the year or anything, but it was... It's yeah, popcorn flick, what can I say? Check, check out Mindhunter on um, Definitely. Netflix. That's very good, <laughs> good series. Can't go wrong with David Fincher. Nope, true. Stu, 
what's what's uh, coming for you? Monday movie show on Monday this week? Yeah, I'm on earlies as well, work wise. So I my shifts at eight o'clock in the morning till four in the afternoon. So this week, but yeah, that I get to review the new Starship Troopers movie. Oh, it's the animated thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Traitors Cas- of Mars. Cas- Van Dien's back again. Yeah, so I get to review that. Yay, me. Yay, but you've been looking forward to that all year. <laughs> yeah, all last seven days of 2018. I've been who's, really um, looking forward to it. Who's reviewing Detroit? Uh, that'll be Andy. That's a good film. Makes you angry, but it's a good film. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> Starship <laughs> Troopers, woo. Yay, <laughs> fantastic. Well, I shall let you guys go. Neil, have a great day. Um, Stu and Bob, have a good evening. Sleep yeah. well. And, Thank you very uh, I shall much. Cha- I shall chat to you all soon. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Bye, bye. 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 Take bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.